mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you would use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. God, as I prepared this message, Lord, I pray that you would use it mightily today to speak to your people, God. I pray that I would just get out of the way and that you would speak. Father, we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're continuing our study of 2 Samuel. Um, I'm excited. I, I like going through the book, man. It's good. Little by little, this is a nice murderous story this morning to get you in the Christmas spirit. Beheadings and hangings and cutting and bloody. I mean, if this doesn't say Christmas, I don't know what does. You're, uh, if you want to hear a Christmas message, come on the 24th. Amen. Christmas Eve. It's going to be awesome. Pray against the rain. No rain in Jesus' name. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 4. Let's, talk, let's read it, and then we'll talk about it. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all Israel was troubled. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Banah, and the name of the other was Rechab, and the sons of Rimon, the Beerothite, they drank a lot of beer, of the children of Benjamin. For Beeroth also was part of Benjamin, because the Beerothites fled to Gittim, and of been sojourners until this day. Listen, I just want to tell you right now, your level of spirituality is not connected to your ability to pronounce these names, okay? I, uh, whoever says it, I swear they're just making them up as they go along. I don't know why it's not Billy, Johnny, and Joe, but it's just not, okay? Now, Jonathan, that's a good name. Saul's son had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came up from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And the sons of Ramon, the Berothite, and Rechab, and Benah set out and came about to the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth. He was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat. And they stabbed him in the stomach. And Rechab and Benah's brothers escaped. When they came to the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. And they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head. And were all night escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, this day of Saul and his descendants. But David answered Rechab and Benah and his brothers, the son of Rimmon, the Berothite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, when someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him, had him executed in Ziklag. The one who thought I would give him a reward for his news, how much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed... Therefore, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. It's a really good story. You know, you read a story like that, you wonder, and you say, Lord, what can I preach from this? And all I will say to you is if you nap in the middle of the day, it will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't nap in the middle of the day. Someone will find you and kill you. In closing, no, here, here's what's going on in this story. And, and I always have to get a, bring you up to speed because some of y'all uh, maybe haven't been here before. 
Israel is the nation of God. Saul was the king of Israel. David was going to be the king of Israel. And uh, David pursued, uh, excuse me, Saul pursued David all through 1 Samuel trying to kill him. David refused to kill Saul. And so Saul dies and David's supposed to become king. But this guy Abner, who's the second in command of Saul's army, makes this other guy Ishbosheth king. And Ishbosheth is Saul's son. So the kingdom of Israel has been split. Ishbosheth is the king of Israel. David is the king of Judah. And so there was some killing. La- this is a killing portion. So there was some killing last week. And uh, so now uh, Abner was the second in charge to Ishbosheth, and he got killed. And so now these next, the Beer brothers are up next. And they, um, they, now they want a place in the kingdom. And so, you know, they do as any good person would do. You kill the guy that's number one, and then you take him to the guy that's going to be number one. And then you expect that the guy that is going to be number one would be really excited about the fact that you killed his enemy. So the Beard brothers take the head of Ishbosheth. Uh, I just came up with that, honestly. That's, that's how the Holy Spirit works, folks. It'll give you stuff like that. And so they, they you're going to remember this story the rest of your life. And, and so, then, so then they go and they take the head to David. And, and David's like, what did you guys do, man? Like Ishbosheth was an honorable man. Like he doesn't deserve to be killed. Uh, and, and so he says, well, now that you've done this, I, you've given me no option except now I'm going to execute you. I'm going to cut off your hands and feet and hang you by a pool in Hebron because that ain't right what you did. And don't think just because it's going to benefit me politically that I'm going to sign off on the evil that you've done because that's not how I roll. That's, that's not what he does. And so again, I, 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 my, my, there's many facets to what I do as a pastor, but what, what, every week God gives us a scripture and then you, you and the Lord give me time to, to read over it and study it and come out with something that we're going to talk about this week. And most weeks, and this week's no different, I, I usually read the scripture probably 50 to 75 times, maybe 100 times sometimes. I'm always looking for the nugget. Like, where, like, what do we talk about? Especially, like, on a Sunday, right? I mean, murder and heads and hands and feet. I mean, it's exciting, like it's exciting stuff, but like all scripture is God breathed. And, and so we go to it and we're like, God, well, what do you, what do we talk about? Like what? Cause I, I, I really wanted to talk about, you know, the heads and the blood and the murder and tell you guys are a bunch of murderous people that are gonna lose your hands and feet if you go against God. But I, I, I just, it's not really what the Lord brought out of it to me. Um, again, it's politically expedient for David to do this, but there's a deeper meaning the, the deeper meaning of this whole entire arc of the story is that David refuses to go against God. Yeah. Like that, that, that's really the, the, there's a lot to this story and there's a lot of layers, but the main thing is this, is that David is a man that refuses to go against what God is doing. And, and we look through the life of David and David's a man to be admired in the Bible. Uh, they talk about in the Bible that he's a man after God, God's own heart. And, and so we look at it, we say, well, how is it that in the midst of such a, a turmoil and this political fight and uh, d- division in the kingdom, that David can still show strength of character to not rejoice over the death of his enemy, uh, when most people would be really excited that someone got fired at their work and then all of a sudden they get promoted? Uh, how, how, how does a man do that? How, how does he become that type of man? The, the scripture I really want to focus on today is verse 9. And Paul says, as the, excuse me, uh, David says, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. 
And, and, and really that, that one little line to me in, encapsulates the heart of David in this story where everything that he's going through, everything that he's acting on is in complete remembrance of who God is and that it's affected his life. And so now he's going to act in a certain way because of the effect that God has had on his life. As the Lord lives who has redeemed me from all adversity. Most would be excited to have their enemy's head on a platter. Most would rejoice at the calamity of their adversary, but not David. He honors God. He honors his enemy and executes judgment on the lawless. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, David never forgot who he was and where he came from. He never forgot that it was the Lord that redeemed him and saved him and separated him. And it changed him. It affected him. He lived differently. Wouldn't it be interesting if people who had been affected by the Holy Spirit and by the gospel of God, that it affected their lives and they lived differently? Was he perfect? Of course not. But David's heart was good. As, as we walk through 2 Samuel, we're going we're gonna to see a lot about his heart. And, and most of you know the story and the woman and all that. We're going to get through it. But, but he is a man that shows us his propensity for sin, but also his ability to repent. What did David remember to declare who has redeemed my life from all adversity? As the Lord lives, David never forgot that it was God that had saved him. It was God that had saved him. See, if you've been with us over the last year, you've seen how in 1 Samuel, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, King, King Saul had pursued David so much to try to kill him. And, and in this story, we see these two guys that come and try to make it seem as though they're doing David a favor by killing Ishbosheth. But, but they're, they're really just doing self-seeking behavior once again. They, they just, they want the next place in line. But, but what troubles me about these beer brothers is that had they not heard about the character of David, had they not seen how he had acted? I mean, when he, when he had chances to kill Saul and he didn't do it, the times when he was delivered, I mean, I, I guarantee you they had heard about the story of him and Goliath and how he had been delivered from bears and lions and all these other things and what an honorable man he was. And then they come expecting him to be rejoicing over the death of Ishbosheth, but they, what they forget is that David didn't forget where he had come from. In 1 Samuel 23, you can read about how God rescued David from Saul. Saul repeatedly tried to kill David, and he was never successful. God saved David from Saul, and, and David never forgot that. He never forgot that it was God that had protected him. God had decided that he was going to be king, and he protected him from the hand of Saul that wanted to kill him. He also saved him from his own people that wanted to kill him. He protected him from lions and bears and Goliath. David had seen God's saving power and it changed his actions because he couldn't pretend that it wasn't God that saved him. He couldn't pretend that it was God that was going to make him king. Can you imagine people that didn't forget that it had been God that saved them? Psalm 107 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. 
See, when, when you understand the life of David, it's much easier to uh, go through the Old Testament and read the Psalms and see that David is a man uh, of great heart and character, and his Psalms are a reflection of that. When he talks about em- enemies and deliverance, and you've walked through First and Second Samuel, and you're able to see the life that he lived, you read those Psalms with such a different level of richness. Psalm 111.9, he has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. David's heart was always to remember the redemptive power of God. When he wrote the Psalms, they were worship songs. It was him worshiping God for what he had done in his life and how he had delivered him. A heart that remembers what God has done. See, David knew that God had saved him. So what did he do? He refused to support the sins of these brothers. Given the choice, he chooses to put God first. Verse 10, when someone told me saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought me good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag. The one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. See, that's the measure of his resolve. He acts this way because he knows that God has redeemed him. He knows that God has saved him. David knew that God had sustained him and that God had saved him and it changed how he lived. What does it mean to you? Have you forgot that Jesus saved you? Have you forgot that he delivered you? Have you forgot the day that you came to him, a broken sinner in need of salvation, and he delivered you, he saved you, he washed you, and he set you free? Or have you moved on in such a way that that there's been too many years from that moment that now it's just a fleeting thought that you forgot what Jesus has done for you? For the life of me, I'll never understand how people go from, I'm just happy to be saved, to now I have a list of demands. Yeah. I just don't, man. I just don't understand it at all. When people get saved, there's a glow that's about them, and they're so excited. They don't care about nothing. They're just excited, man. They're just excited that they're free from sin, and they've been delivered, and they've gone from death to life. But slowly but surely, it turns into a list of demands of what God is not doing and what God hasn't done. See, if we remember, as sure as the Lord lives, He has redeemed me, it should change how we live. It should change our character. I think most of us would do well to begin the morning with a reflection of the day of salvation that you had. And if you have nothing to reflect on, be concerned. Find that day when you came to Jesus... When you knew you had nothing and you were nothing and you needed nothing except for him. Ephesians 1 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace folks it's through the grace of Jesus we have redemption in his blood from sin but we forget this and we start to get mad at God because he doesn't give us more and he doesn't do more and he hasn't done this instead of realizing man, he already did everything that he needed to do for us on the cross now, don't get me wrong, man. I love serving God. I, 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 there's, there's accidental blessings from being a person that follows Jesus. You know, a couple weeks ago, Crystal and I were at the Dairy Queen. And did you know that little loop on the top of the ice cream is trademarked? Did you know that? It's a trademark. When they go, whoop, 
and that little trademark come. And this trainee was making my uh, thing and he got the whoop wrong and he went to throw it away. And I said, hold on. They said, we can't give that out. It doesn't have the right loop. I said, bring it here. And they gave me that ice cream cone and then they said, we have to make you another one. Please don't tell anyone that we gave you this one. Oops. Sometimes it rains on the just and the unjust, man. You know, and, and let, me, let, me, let me speak to some of you that are, you know, and I'm, I'm getting old, man. I'm in my 40s. So let, so let, me, uh, let, me, let me speak to, let me speak to some of you whippersnappers underneath 35. As you begin to age, as I have, hopefully you will begin to learn what I've been learning over the last five years, which is you don't really need that much. You really don't need as much as you think that you need. You don't need to buy what you think you need to buy. The satisfaction of the Lord is so satisfying if you can find it in it. We don't want to forget Isaiah 44, 22. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me for I have redeemed you. See, lack of remembrance will make you into a self-righteous demanding person. Do, 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 Do you want your sins put up here on this board? Would you like to stand here before all of us and we can list out everything that you've ever done wrong in your life? Every thought, every action, every word, every desire laid bare before men? Any volunteers? No. There's not, yeah, there's not enough room. Not for me either, sister. It'd be a long, long service. But if you're a Christian, God's redeemed you from that. He's forgiven you from that. The, the, the slate has been wiped clean. If that's not a reason to rejoice, man, I don't know what it is. You know, my wife and I have been married for about 21 years. And uh, I, my, my poor wife, she didn't even know how many times she's going to have to be a sermon example. You know? You know, and, uh, you know, we, we married when I was in the army. And, and uh, the, the, the biggest thing that makes me question my wife's mental state is that she actually chose me. Um, <laughs> So I was a piece of work, man. I always say that I think for the most part, she chose me because of the free army medical. That's what I think it was. You know, TRICARE, man. There's no stopping TRICARE. It was either, it was either that or the, or the $900 a month I was making. She wanted every last one of it. She looked at me and said, man, that guy's going places. Hitch myself to that wagon. You know, Crystal, Crystal and I... Crystal and I got married fast. We met in January. We, we met in January, got engaged in March, and we're married in June. And people say, like, man, why'd you get married so fast? I'm like, dude, because I did not want her to change her mind. <laughs> you know, I had to do it quickly before she figured it out, you know? And I was, man, uh, uh, people that know me know that marriage changed me. Um, and, and one of the reasons why it changed me so much is because, uh, surprise, Crystal actually likes me. She loves me. And, and, I, and I remember, you know, just when I first got married, I was so excited that, like, somebody actually liked me. Like, <laughs> somebody actually was like, I like this guy. And, and it satisfied so much in us. And, and I remember we, we got married, and, and we get in our little tiny apartment uh, by Fort Hood. 
And we were living, man. We were making it happen. But she had this, uh, I had no furniture. She had her grandma's old furniture. We had this, it was a gold recliner. Remember that recliner? And uh, I, I got a sheet and I stapled a blue sheet on it because I wanted it to look blue. I didn't like the gold. And we, uh, 70s rust go, uh, gold. You guys remember that color? And we had, uh, now I'm going to date myself here. We had a tube television. Do you guys remember those? We're like, you really had to know what you were going to watch because if not, you had to like get out of the chair and walk across and change the dial. Some of you kids don't know how rough we had it way back when. And, and I remember in those early, early years that, uh, and we were just excited to be married and excited about our tube TV and, you know, pulling change out of the couch to go down to 7-Eleven to get Slurpees. But marriage being the way that it is, you know, I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight years later, and that, you know, that TV just wasn't, wasn't enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was working in a secular job, and I got my first commission check, and man, the first thing I did is I went out and got me a projection screen TV. You guys remember those? <laughs> thing was about as big as this drum room. You know what I mean? <laughs> the 42-inch projection screen TV. Everybody's like, what do you need with all that TV? I was going places, man. I was doing things. The tube TV was no longer satisfying. I wanted to get the projection TV. Still the same godless programming. But then we moved on from the projection screen to the plasma screen, from the plasma screen to the LCD, from 480p to 1080p to 4K. They got 8K now. What is 8K? You see through the walls? Like, I just don't know. No different than your telephone. You're just so excited. Remember when you had a beeper? You're so excited about a beeper? You're like, I want this iPhone. It flies and tells me the future. You know what I mean? Why do I tell you that story? Dissatisfaction from where you came from. The, problem, the problems with my... We don't have any problems, but any problems that we have in our marriage that are usually mine, uh, it's not connected to what we have. I was just excited to be married. I was just excited to be married to her with nothing. And then all of a sudden the marriage changes. It's like, well, we don't have this house. We don't have this car. We don't have this thing that plugs into the wall that we're going to take to the dump one day. But it's no different in our relationship with Christ. You move from just being excited that he chose you and that you're with him and that you're saved to just like, you know what? I don't understand, man. Why can't these chairs be farther apart from each other? You know what I mean? Why can't I be in a church with a big parking lot? Why is it so hot? Why is it so cold? Why is it so long? How long did he hang on the cross for me to sit through this? David may have acted in haste or made some bad decisions, but he always remembered. It was God that saved him. Psalms declare it and his actions prove it. Folks, living life as a Christian is not easy. At least if you're trying to live life as a Christian. We're faced every day with moral dilemmas of how we'll act and how we'll treat people. But if you remind yourself what God has done for you, it will change the way in which you interact with people. Or at least it should. It should. As the Lord lives, David was a man after God's own heart. He was just, he was just a lowly shepherd boy. But he had absolute faith in God. Excuse me. 
You look at 1 Samuel 17. He said, the Lord will deliver me when it came to the Goliath. He looked at Goliath and he looked at him and he said, you know what? It looks like these are insurmountable odds, but I believe in God. I believe that he will deliver me. And in this instance, he executed these executors and it was a righteous act. They, they deserve it. Verse 11, he says, how much more when a wicked man have killed a righteous person in, in his house on his bed, therefore shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? Verse 12, so David commanded his young man and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But he took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of, uh, by Abner, of Abner in Hebron. It's interesting that David never tried to kill Saul, but had no problem with executing the wicked. If you, if you look back in the story in 1 Samuel, if you remember, he was in a cave and Saul came in there to relieve himself. He had an opportunity to kill him. He didn't take it. When him and Abishai went down with the jug and the spear and all that, he didn't kill him. He was a righteous man. But don't mistake his grace for weakness. His resolve was, uh, was, was to honor Saul and honor Ishbosheth or anyone else. He'd go through it. He knew that God was going to take care of him. I mean, this is why he was able to write Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Folks, David's life was full of troubles. I mean, this is, this is why Bible reading is so important. Oftentimes when we read these Bible stories, we're reminded of honestly how like easy we have it. Like really, if you, if you have a, a vehicle or a conveyance and you got a microwave and you know, you're able to eat a meal every day, like you're doing better than most of these people in the Bible. And we get so upset and just like, well, I don't like my phone. Like, why can't I get an upgrade? Like, really? Like, you're going to die and sit before God and sit with Paul and be like, and he's like, so what was your suffering? And he's like, man, you don't know how long my parents maybe use this old iPhone. Like, you just you didn't know what it is. And to buy my clothes at Walmart. You don't even understand, Paul. See, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about done. That's a good preach right there in and of itself. <laughs> See, if David not had a heart that had absolute faith in God, chances are he would have folded. He would have given up. But he didn't. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Now, don't, don't miss the moment. David was not Jesus. He was human, right? I mean, he, he acted as a human acted, and I don't think that he acted in joy to do this, to kill these men, but it needed to be done. He knew that this bloody act would unify the northern and southern kingdom, that they would unite. Little side note, it's not the sermon today, but it was blood that united the kingdom. It will be blood that unites everybody through Jesus Christ. Blood is a theme through Scripture. Jesus was sinless, David wasn't, but Jesus is, sits on the throne of David as the ultimate king, Messiah. See, David absolutely loved God's law. He wrote Psalms. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, he, he, he loved God's law and then he wrote the Psalms and then the Psalms became God's law. He, did, he didn't even realize that what he was writing would be written in scriptures that people would have for the rest of their lives to sustain uh, the people. He didn't understand. He was just honoring God. He just wanted to write songs to God. And now they are our scriptures. How he loved his words. Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. See, I, I believe that he had the books of Moses. He didn't have the Psalms because he hadn't written them yet. He didn't refer to his own Psalms. Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. 
David was sustained because he knew God's word. He knew his law and he meditated on it. He thought about it. He was thankful. You can read through the Psalms how thankful he was. He was repentant. You can read Psalm 51 and how repentant he was. He said in Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. It's very interesting to look at the life of David and to see his heart where, I mean, this is a guy that's going to be king and is king, and he's still like this broken, repentive man. There's not an ounce of of pride inside of him. I believe him to be a, a, a real humble man. What does it mean to us? How do you think people would describe you? What, what are your character traits? See, what's in, I, I, again, I don't believe that David thought he was ever going to be written in the Bible. I, I don't believe that he was thinking like, man, I need to pad my numbers because one day they're going to be in Auburn talking about me and I better do whatever I got to do to make myself look good. I don't believe that was his heart as, at all. His heart was just to honor God. And, and, and so I stand up and I ask you and I say, well, what about your character? What do people say about you? And, and, and Americans are weird because Americans say, that I don't care what anybody says about me. Yeah. Well, you should care what God says about you. Yeah. You, you should also care that if, if you claim to be a Christian and people know that you're a Christian, your reputation precedes you yeah. and your reputation follows you. Yeah. And so what you say and how you live and what you post online, the comments you make and the likes you do, like all that stuff follows you. And it speaks to your character. It speaks to what other people say about you. And you may not care and you shouldn't care what other people say about you, but you should care what other people say about you as a Christian because your reputation will be spoken about. Make no mistake. People are talking about you. They can't help it. It's what people do. They have nothing better to do than to talk about you. So, like the old song says, give them something to talk about, but make sure it's something good. What are your character traits? Because here we are, thousands of years later, talking about King David, about his character traits, and saying, you know what, that should be our character. That should be who we are. Um, I grew up in uh, North Seattle in Ballard, mean streets of Ballard, right? Why do you guys always laugh when I say that? North... North Seattle, it was real up there. <laughs> People thought the fog off the water. No, it was gun smoke. That's what it was. <laughs> so we used to hang out at Northgate. We used to ride our bikes there. Oh, wow. they, they let kids ride their bikes back in those days. Yeah. So we rode our little bikes to Northgate and we'd hang out, me and Jay and Dan. And uh, we'd go and get uh, uh, cologne samples, right? They used to give out free little cologne samples. And let me tell you, man, junior high, you get a cologne sample of Drakkar, you throw that on you, the girls are powerless. You know what I mean? Who remembers Drakkar? Drakkar and what? Man, whoo! Little Bobby Brown at the junior high school dance wearing some Drakkar. Ain't no stopping that. So anyway, we're at the mall, and, and I was there with my brother. I have an older brother. He's three years older than me. And I remember this day. Now, when I, when I tell you guys these stories, I don't make these up. I literally sit there and think of these stories as they apply. So people are like, is this a real story? I'll never tell you a false story. So I'm there with my brother. He's older than me. I'm in junior high. Um, he's in high school. And um, we took the bus because you can, there was a bus route that we could go down there as well. So we took Metro bus down there and we're hanging out. 
And so I'm with my brother and someone came from his high school, was walking over and they said, oh, hey, Terry's in the mall. And I won't tell you his last name, but his name is Terry. And, and, and he had the sidekick and I won't tell you his name because I, I've said stories in sermons before and then people come up to me like, dude, I grew up in Ballard. I know who that person is. And so I'm not, and so they're like, Terry, and what, they're in the mall right now. And I remember my brother's face just like got this look on it. He's like, we need to go right now. And I was like, and I'm, in, I'm like, it's my brother. So I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go. And so we left the mall, went out of North Gateway and waited on the Metro and we got on the bus. And I'm like, dude, why did we leave? What's going on? He was like, that dude is a fighter. And I was like, so what's the problem? He goes, he will fight anybody. He's beat up half the kids in Ballard. Like, I don't want nothing to do with that guy at all. My brother was so afraid of the fact that this guy was just in the mall that we left. Now, some of you are like, well, you should have stayed and rights and blah, blah, blah. No, my brother's a smart guy. If the biggest fighter in the neighborhood is in the mall, just leave. <laughs> like, don't even wait to see what's going to happen, right? In his ninth grade mind, that was the safest bet. The character of this man preceded him. It was his reputation. That's what people knew about him. For years, man, people would hear that these guys were coming to a party and people would leave because they were so deathly afraid of these guys. This is a true story. Um, Again, why do I tell you that story? I hope you're picking up what I'm laying down. Your character precedes you. People hear that you're coming to a party. What do they say? You leave somewhere. What do they say? Are you a person with the heart after the things of God? Is, is your heart's desire for God like it is for David? See, and, 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 and make no mistake, man, I, I don't pretend for a moment that I don't understand what we do here and who we are as a church. And some people don't like it because it's like, dude, submit to God. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do here, man. Yeah. Full submission to God, nothing else. Because I believe that that's what God desires from us. And we look, at, we look at the life of David and we see that. We see full submission to the things of God. And so we want to have absolute faith that God will see us through. We don't want to fold in adversity. David didn't fold in adversity. We want to have a love for his word like David had a love for his word. Do you, do you meditate on God's word? Do you let it change you? Do you? When you read it, do you think like, man, I, I need to change the way that I'm thinking. I need to change the way that I'm living because God designs that for me. Are you thankful for what you have? Do you praise God for what he's done? Are you repentant? Do you quickly repent? Like we all sin. We all fall into it. Do you turn around quickly and say, God, forgive me. When you think that you're somewhere where you're not, you go before God and say, search me, try me, change me, reveal things in me that need to change inside of me. As the Lord lives, God wanted, excuse me, David wanted to honor God. That's, that's really uh, the, the, the over part of all of this is that he wanted to honor God. When you look at the life of David, he didn't honor Saul because Saul was honorable. He honored Saul because God was honorable. And so even when he honors Ishbosheth and he buries him by Abner, Ishbosheth didn't deserve to be honored, just in the same way that Abner didn't, need, mean, didn't deserve to be honored. But because Ishbosheth is the son of Saul and God had made Saul king, David says, you know what? I'm going to honor this guy. And, and later on in 2 Samuel, we start talking about when he's looking to show somebody honor and he can't find anybody. And then lame Mephibosheth comes up and he's the son of Jonathan. Then we're going to see how, how he honors Mephibosheth just because he's the son of Jonathan years later, because that's who David is. Yeah. 
He's just a guy that's going to show honor. He's going to say, well, you're connected to what God was doing. And so I'm going to honor that. Honor was David's code. 1 Samuel 2.30. Let me show you this. And this was God speaking to Eli. But it, uh, it rings true for us this morning as well. 1 Samuel 2.30. Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. David's heart was a heart of honor towards God and it led him to elevation of king of Israel. He, he wasn't a schemer. Like he, if you go through the story, he could have killed Saul and these other guys would have gone with him and he could have pushed the hand of God. But David says, you want, I want to honor God. I I want him to be the one that elevates me. I want him to be the one that takes care of the details of my life. And so uh, we see that God honors David because God always honors honor. He always honors honor. And, and, and we have become an honorless society. We become a bunch of self-indulgent people that just demand everybody to respect us while at the same time simultaneously respecting no one. It's interesting. One of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and your mother. God, who deserves all, rules all, and deserves every honor, says, you know what? A demand that I put upon you is that you would honor your father and mother. It's, it's really interesting if you think about it, that God commands us to honor our father and our mother. In turn, you that are parents must demand that your children honor you, that they respect you. If you don't force your kids to respect you and honor you, they will never respect and honor God. I believe that God uh, makes parents honor children and children honor parents because it teaches us to honor our heavenly father. If you, if you can't honor your earthly father, you'll never honor your heavenly father. Our God is a God of honor. Make no mistake about it. That's why I never call my father or mother by their first name. Who does this? I don't even know what my mom's first name is. Like, <laughs> her name's mom. Dad's name is dad. My uncle has a first name. His name's uncle. It's honor. Still what it is. I don't know what's happened to people. They lost their minds. There will be people in your life that you honor because God tells you to do so. Not because they're deserving of honor, but because God demands that we would be honorable people. And in this instance, the justice he gives out to these guys is a direct connection to David's desire to honor God and the house of Saul. Later, we'll see it again with Jonathan. Remember, 1 Samuel 26, 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, what does it mean to you? What happened to honor culture in America? And I'm just talking about basic human decency. It, it, it's, it's out here. But, but here we see a guy that refused to kill his enemy for the honor and sake of God. And so what does that mean to us? Well, we, we should at least as Christian people stop gossiping about our fellow Christians. We should at least learn how to serve one another. If we remember the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it should change the way in which we speak to other people. It should change the, our, our demeanor to other people. There's a reason why, why the Bible says in Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Friend, God demands that we show honor to one another. It may not be the culture of the world, but it's definitely the culture of God's, uh, of God's kingdom. And so we need to be people of honor that have honor. It's a culture of the Bible. 
See, what God had done in and through David changed his demeanor and caused him to be a man of honor. And that's Bible, folks. That's what we're supposed to do. But, but we don't. We put ourselves at the expense of others and figure that, that God doesn't care. And I will tell you that he does care. God is real and God is watching. He cares whether we honor people. And he will honor those that honor him. And he will honor those that honor other people just because God is a God of honor. Amen? Hebrews 13, 18, pray for us for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. Even more so than the things of God and our fellow Christians, we do this for him and because of him to honor God. We choose to be honorable people in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian... We always like to end our services with an opportunity to give your life to Christ. And it's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you've given your heart to him or you haven't. Forgiveness awaits you. You just have to turn your life over to Jesus and say, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you set me free? And he will do it every single time. And if you've never made that decision before, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus be forgiven of your sins. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And so if you've never done that, you'd like to give your heart to Jesus. We want to pray with you and pray for you. I just ask you to raise your hand today and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the first time? I see your hand. Is there anybody else this morning to give their hand? life to Jesus. Now, if you'd feel comfortable, I want you to walk up here and have someone pray with you this morning. I know it's a little weird to have people walk up to the front and have somebody pray for you, but it'll be a remembrance, a day that you remember that you gave your life to Jesus, that you were set free. Maybe you've been uh, far from God. You know him known the truth, but you've walked away from it. You find yourself in church today, you're like, man, I don't know what happened. I was walking with Jesus, and now I'm far from him, and I don't know how to come back. Friend, he's right behind you. Just turn around. Just fall into his arms. He loved you when you were his enemy. How much more so now that he calls you son and daughter? If you need to come back to Jesus, you want to rededicate your life to him, realign your life today, I want to pray for you as well. You raise your hand if you want to do that. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. God, I pray for that young hand that raised this morning. God, I pray that you become real to her. You renew her and convert her this morning in the name of Jesus. God, we pray for all of us, God, that we would never forget what you had done for us never forget who you are and what you are to us, God, that we would live a life that's pleasing to you, that we'd have a heart after you, we'd live honorable in all things. Praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.